Today's reading will be from Luke chapter 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with, went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And a dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. We'll give this a try again. Sounds better now? Yeah? Cool. You're not hearing me twice. Nobody needs that. Uh, my name is Derek Kimes. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to encourage you, if you came in sometime while we were singing, in your chair you would have found a few things. One of them is this Connect card. Um, if you wouldn't mind filling that out this morning, there's a few things you can do. One, you can just put your information on there, and we'd love to connect with you, share any information about Trailview Church, answer any questions you may have about us. Um, we are a six-month-old church plant. So... Um, we rent this space. We're six months in, and the Lord's been really gracious to bless a lot of things uh, over the last six months. And so uh, we'd love to connect with you, share some information about us, learn about you, as well on the other side is a, is a prayer card. If there are specific things going on in your life, in your work, in your family, in your friendships, whatever it may be, that you would like for us to join you in crying out to God in prayer for, um, you can fill that out also. And you can do a few things with this. You can take it across the hall to our Connect Center. Uh, you can drop it in the black box on your way out, or you can actually do this digitally on this QR code with your phone. Whatever you want to do with that, um, we'd love to get that info from you so we can join you in prayer or connect with you. Also, I want to point your attention to this card that you found in your chair. This is unique. It's not normally in your chair. And specifically, um, we're, look, we're using these over the next three weeks um, as we look at how the gospel, or la- our current sermon series, um, moves us towards other people in disciple making. And so, um, so kind of take a look at that. We're going to walk through that this morning and, and actually take some steps of obedience to Jesus um, by committing to, to live a, a disciple making life. So, so hang on to that. We'll, we'll walk into that a little bit more in just a little while. Um, I want to ask you a question as we start. Have you ever watched somebody or seen somebody do something and just been like, why? <laughs> why, 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 why do they do that? Why, why are they doing that? Um, what are they doing that for? Uh, if you have children, um, that happens a lot. <laughs> You're like, I don't understand. Like, why? Why? It well, uh, doesn't make sense. And, and you can get into all the, oh, the frontal lobe is not fully developed, so they don't know the consequences of their actions kind of stuff. But, but we oftentimes, throughout all of our life, ask the question about other people, why do they do that? And typically comes from a perspective of like, I know the better way to do it. That's definitely not the better way to do it. Um, and so we think, like, well, why are you doing it that way? You need to do it this way, whatever it may be. Uh, God unpacks for us in his word this truth, that everything that we do in our lives, whether it's our words or our actions or our motivations or, or, or our, uh, uh, our interactions with other people, all of them flow from within us. Uh, so they're not like external actions that have no uh, actual source. They flow out from within us. Jesus says it this way. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's not talking about your physical, like, blood-pumping muscle inside of you. 
but this inner being portion of you. It's where your motivations live and they breed forth in actions and thoughts and words and, and all of those things. And so uh, what I want us to do today is kind of hang on to that why, but instead of asking why others, to turn that back in on ourselves and ask this, why do we do the things that we do? Um, to, to, not, to, to not first have our eyes on others to say, why do uh, they do that? Um, but to have that question asked to ourselves. Why do we do the things that we do? If, if everything that I do flows from within me, why do I do the things that I do? And so for us, if, if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, uh, I want to ask you this way. Why should or what should be driving or motivating us to do the things that Jesus has actually called us to do? Here, here's the main thing for us today. As we're looking at how the gospel uh, shapes us as an individual, as a Christian, how the gospel forms the community of Christians, the church, and how the gospel moves us on mission. Today we're looking at this. The gospel moves our, heart, our hearts towards others. That if we're going to be a people who are about making disciples, if you put your faith in Jesus, what he's called you to, the life of making disciples, seeing other people experience the freedom from shame and guilt, seeing other people uh, have joy and life that you have in Jesus. Like, if we're going to be about that, it starts with our hearts. That if our hearts don't move towards other people, neither will our hands and neither will our, our resources and neither will our words. That it begins here in our hearts. And, and the reality is the gospel is a picture of God moving. That, that if, the, the gospel is a picture of God moving, specifically moving towards us. And so maybe you, uh, you've come from a place in life where you, when you think about God, you think uh, God, angry, judge, distant, doesn't care. If he does exist, he doesn't seem to be involved. Uh, and sometimes we can find ourselves thinking about God in that kind of angry judge who looks down upon us with some sort of co condemnation or judgment. But here's what I want to encourage you to tell you. That's not the picture that the Bible paints of God. That God's Word does not paint a picture for us of God as being this, this God who sits in the heavens and He looks down with condemnation and judgment. Why? Because the Bible tells us a story about a God who doesn't sit off in the distance angry or con condemning or judgmental, but who moves towards us. Who actively has ongoingly moved towards people. And so the Bible paints a picture not of God as an angry judge, but God as a compassionate king. That God is in heaven and He does do whatever He pleases, but He takes no joy in the pain and suffering and brokenness and loneliness and, and, and that humanity experiences. That God doesn't look down on the pain that you experience in life, the suffering you've experienced, the loneliness you may currently feel, the brokenness of relationship with some sort of satisfaction. That sin breaks the heart of God because God is a compassionate king. And that compassion isn't just some ethereal thing that God thinks or has, but it's genuine, true compassion. And genuine, true compassion, what? Moves towards the person. And so when God sees us in this world, broken by sin and life, filled with suffering and pain and loneliness and, and emptiness, where even when we have some sense of like, oh, things are going really well, there's still this inner longing of, uh, of guilt or shame or, or failure, that He sees all of that and He moves towards us in compassion. That He doesn't see our suffering and pain, our future judgment or death, 
uh, from afar, but He is willing to move toward us. That He willingly does move towards us. That God is on mission. And He's always been on mission to rescue and redeem a people from sin and death and to give them eternal life. And this, motive, this mission that God is on is a mission motivated by love. A mission that's motivated and flows out of love from within God. 1 John 4, 9-10 through says this, In this is love. Another way of saying like, hey, if you want to know what love is, here it is. Love defined is this. God was made manifest or known among us that God sent His only Son into the world, Jesus, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or sacrificial sin-paying sacrifice for our sins. That love isn't an expectation of you that if you meet, then I'll move towards you. But God sees us in our brokenness and sin, and out of love, He moves towards us. That He moves towards us in our need. So Jesus is... Our Lord, we follow Him as our our Lord. We are disciples of Jesus if you put your faith in Him. So we should follow after that same way of living. That if God is on mission, that if Jesus has come towards those who are broken and in need, then we as His people, Christian, should move towards others. Should compassionate and love-driven move towards those in need. And we're going to look over the next three weeks leading up to Easter how the gospel moves us towards people in three particular ways. We're going to look at how the gospel moves our hearts. That through the gospel we have received the love and compassion of God. This love and compassion then moves our hearts in love and compassion towards others. That our hearts must be moved by the gospel towards other people. Our hands. That through the gospel we have received the generous charity of God. That He's working for your good as His children. And this generosity of God towards us moves our hands in generosity towards those around us. That since God has loved us, we love others. Since God has provided for us, we provide for others. So our hearts, our hands, and the last one, our words. That through the gospel, this message of hope, we've been invited into the family of God. That this message of life and hope that we've received moves our words towards others, proclaiming and inviting them to receive this same hope that we've received in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and need to receive hope and joy and life, eternal life. So the gospel moves us towards other people on mission, and it starts with our hearts, it moves into our hands, and then to our words. So as we look at the world around us, our hope over the next three weeks is that we would see God begin a movement of Trailview Church in our community towards our neighbors, towards our co-workers, towards our friends, that we would move towards them with compassion and love, towards the suffering, the pain, the aching, the, the, the loss, uh, the loneliness that they feel, that we would move our hands towards to serve and love and care and give, and then we would move our words to invite them to Jesus. So we're going to have some actionable steps. So so, uh, Christians, uh, the Bible doesn't paint a picture for us as this ethereal mission. Like we're not like just supposed to intellectually consent to the things that the Bible says. 
but it's supposed to breed forth action. And so we're going to have some actionable steps of mission, steps towards others every single week over the next three weeks, leading up till, to, towards Easter. That's what that card is. It's a, it's a commitment to actually do what Jesus has called us to do, to, to live like Jesus lived, to move towards those in need. And hope and pray that the Holy Spirit changes our hearts to do that and also transforms them and brings life and eternal life in them. So this week, uh, as John read earlier, we're going to look at Jesus as an example. Jesus as the example of what it looks like for our hearts to move towards other people. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. If not, it'll be up on the screen and you can read with us there. Uh, and we're going to see this play out in, in, in a few different ways. We're going to see Jesus' heart move towards others uh, in three ways. First, Jesus sees. Jesus sees. Second, Jesus feels, which some of us are like, ah, put the word feel and Jesus together, that sounds weird. Should we do that? Yes, we should. Third, Jesus moves. So Jesus sees, Jesus feels, and Jesus moves. So first one, Jesus sees. Luke 7, verse 11 through 13 says this. So now after, afterward, he went down to, uh, to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, we're going to stop at that comma, I know, it's not the end of a sentence, but we're going to stop there. What I want us to see here is Jesus sees. That he sees differently than most of us most of us do. As the story, if you've ever read, I encourage you to read through the book of Luke or Matthew or Mark or John, either one. They all tell the same story. We see Jesus doing a lot of things. That he's actively preaching. He's telling people about God. He's healing people. He's, he's making and teaching his disciples. He's traveling around the entire area. And as he does... There's a lot, at, a lot of work to be done, a lot of things to be managed. He's, and we, we see this huge crowd of people, and we're talking like when Jesus has crowds, they're typically in the thousands, not like 50 or 60. So you've got a lot of people that he is in some sense responsible for. So a lot of responsibility there. He has his specific disciples, the 12 particular guys, but also others who've come and put their faith in him that he's actively teaching and training and equipping and trying to send them out to care for these people and to talk about God and all that kind of stuff. And we have them headed towards somewhere, that he's, he's on track traveling to a particular destination. That he has things to do, he has people who need him to heal them, that he has disciples to, he, to teach, that he has places to go. But despite all of the things that are on Jesus' plate, all of the pressure from all of these people that are upon him, Jesus is not more concerned about those things than he is about this one individual woman who's in front of him. So kind of to put yourself in this picture, imagine Jesus coming kind of down the hillside. He can see the town off in the distance in front of him. He's got this massive crowd of people headed towards this small little town called Nain. And as he's approaching, there's a gate. It's not like you can just pick a different street. There's like a gate entrance into this town. There's like walls and all. And as Jesus and this crowd are headed into that gate, they're, they're like, ah, okay, stop for a moment. Funeral procession goes on. Like, you know, we, most of us, um, we're driving down the road and if we see a hearse and like a line of cars with their flashers going by, what do we do? 
They're like, yeah, okay, let's move out of the way and let them all stay together and get where they're going out of compassion for the scenario and situation that's taking place. Now, oftentimes we would see this and we'd think, what would I do if I had been Jesus or one of his disciples? And I'm on, on track, traveling somewhere, got lots of things to do, lots of people who want and need my attention. What do I do? Oh, let's just, <clears throat> let's just hold up here. Let's wait to finish our trek down the mountain and then let them kind of finish their stuff. Let them go out and, and, and sing their songs and mourn and cry and, and bury this young man. But despite all of the pressures and all the things and, and the, the situation in front of him, Jesus doesn't hold back because of the things that are on his plate. Because of the stress and the pressure upon him, he doesn't hold back. Why? Because Jesus sees differently. He sees, despite all of those things, he doesn't lose focus on what he came to do. And what does he see? He sees a funeral. And like I said, most of us, we see a funeral, we're like, uh, I'm not a part of this crew. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to get out of the way. He sees a crowd with the funeral. So not like his crowd, but he sees a crowd. He saw that this woman doesn't have a husband. Like imagine in our kind of day and time funeral, what's, what's the deal? Like there's a particular place in the funeral where the family sits. So imagine you go into the funeral in that front row where the family would sit and there's just a lone woman. So he can tell by seeing what's happening and playing out in this funeral, she doesn't have a husband, she's a widow, and she doesn't have any other sons there with her also. All that unpacking for Jesus, the, the need that this woman has. That she doesn't have, in this day and age, when Jesus and this is taking place in the first century, she doesn't have a consistent source of income. Her husband, who would provide for their family, has since died. And then who would take that responsibility? Her next oldest son. And he seems to have died just now and doesn't have another. So he sees this woman, a widow, suffering that comes along with that, the pain, the loss, the grief. Now her son, in the same situation and scenario... And he sees the grief and the pain that this woman has. And when Jesus sees all of this, he doesn't hide from it. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't distract himself. He's not distracted by it. And I want you to hear this, that Jesus doesn't just see this woman in name. He doesn't just see this woman, this widow, uh, this mom who just lost her son. He sees you. That we, we are really good in, in America, particularly, or in Western culture, uh, at hiding the pain, the, the grief, the suffering, the, the things that we feel that are uncomfortable. We're really good at hiding them with things like wealth. We can make our life look good even though it doesn't feel good. With things like just physical appearance. We can, we can make ourselves look like the world's happening and it's all going well when we're dying inside. When, when we're suffering. Maybe you walked in here today and you're in a season and time of pain. A season or time of loss or disappointment or suffering, depression, loneliness. Maybe it seems like all of life is racing by. Everyone else joining in the race and there you are wondering if anybody notices you 
or cares about the pain that you carry. Everybody else's lives seem to be going smooth and well when yours is broken, shambles. Does anybody see, does anybody care about me? Oftentimes can be a really deep underlining thought that we have in these seasons or these times. Well, that's pain or grief from the loss you carry from a loved one who passed away. Or the loss of a particular season of life, or the end of that season of life. Maybe it's lingering pain or the constant lies of guilt and shame that you carry because of abuse or pain that somebody else has done to you with words or actions. Maybe it's pain and suffering because of the loss of a dream that you had for your life or career. Maybe it's loneliness and singleness, wondering if you're always going to be alone. Maybe it's depression and anxiety that you carry with you every single day. But you got to act like you don't. Maybe it's stress from work or financial difficulty or the constant need to make decisions that you feel. Maybe it's the feeling that you're losing yourself as a mom who's constantly investing your whole self into these kids with what seems like little to no return. Maybe it's a fear you carry around with constant racing lies of endless possibilities that you can't seem to stop and they rob you of joy. That if there was rest from all of this, it seems to have left. Maybe if somebody would stop, ask, care, give you a hug, or just listen. I want you to hear these words. Jesus sees you. He sees all of it, and He knows all of it, and He cares. That just like Jesus sees this widow who's lost everything, He sees you. And whatever degree of that brokenness and sin you may be feeling today, He sees you. And so for us as a people, I hope you would find comfort in knowing that Jesus sees you, and He cares. And He doesn't care from a distance, that He cares and that He moves. And He moves particularly through His people. So we as a church need to begin to see like Jesus. Do we even see other people? Do we see people as we're going down the road, as we're doing our work, as we're looking out the window of our house and we see our neighbors? Like, Do we really see them? Here's my encouragement to you. If you struggle to see people like Jesus sees this woman, I want to encourage you to slow down. To slow down in life. Jesus wasn't so concerned with where He had to be that He didn't slow down, take His time. All these other people probably pushing on Him going, hey, we got to go, we got to go, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do this, we got to do that. He wasn't so concerned about all of that that He didn't move and see this woman. Are we so distracted by what we have to do, by what we want, by the things that are pressing in on us that that, that we fail to see other people? So I encourage you to slow down. The other thing I want to encourage you, if you struggle to see like Jesus, is to be aware of mission drift. Mission drift meaning that 
that we are no longer focused on what Jesus has called us to be focused on. That we've begun to see our, our, the, the focus, the purpose of our life drift. And that this occurs when we fail to, when we fail to see others uh, as a means for us to care for, but as a means for our benefit, we begin to drift from caring about them to them caring for and doing for us. And see, when we start to think things like my life is meant to live for maximum enjoyment for me, we've drifted. When we start to think about my resources and my time is for me, we've drifted. Because what Jesus paints a picture of is us as being a people, His disciples that see other people. And when we see other people, we're moved. We're moved by it. Moved to experience a joy like no other by giving up ourselves. In order for us to live like Jesus called us to live, Christian, disciple, on mission, we have to first begin to see people like Jesus sees them. And when we don't, humbly own it. Hey, God, I don't see people like you do. I see them with judgment. I see them with, uh, with uh, this desire for them to benefit me. I don't see them uh, like you do. And to humbly own that and take it before Jesus and ask Him to change your heart. The first thing that we see in this story is that Jesus sees. The second thing we see in this story is that Jesus feels. That Jesus feels. Verse 17, or chapter 7, verse 13 says this. And when the Lord saw her, so we just saw, he saw the whole scenario, but out of the whole scenario, he sees this particular woman. He had compassion on her. That he had compassion on her. The word compassion, literally when you break it down into its etymology, it means with suffering. It means with suffering. So to the, the com means with, and the pati, which is the Latin passion, means Suffering, which is interesting to think of the word passion as suffering, but that's not for today. Nonetheless, what Jesus, when he sees this woman, what wells up inside of him is this desire to suffer with her, to have compassion for her, to, to take the suffering of this woman upon himself and to share it for a moment. It's this idea of putting myself in their shoes. That when I see that person on my Facebook feed or Instagram feed or whatever social media you use, is my heart moved with compassion to see the situation, the scenario, and the person, person and long to be with them in that? Or do I separate myself from them? By quickly dismissing them? By, by giving some reason that I don't have to care? But here's what Jesus does though. Jesus sees and Jesus chooses to feel what she's feeling. He chooses to share in her suffering by, by putting himself in her shoes. Maybe even in this moment, I don't know what's going through Jesus' mind. Maybe he looks down and goes, man, I remember when my dad Joseph died. We don't know. I mean, uh, by all accounts, for the stories, Joseph's never mentioned in Jesus's ministry. His earthly dad, you know, Mary and Joseph guy. He's never mentioned. 
which means or shows this picture that he probably died, or he would have been at Jesus' you know, crucifixion and all those things listed with the rest of his family. Maybe Jesus takes him back to a memory in a moment when he saw his mom as a widow with the crowd of people going outside of the city of Nazareth to bury Joseph. He chose not to dismiss or to put off or to avoid this woman's suffering, but to take that suffering personally, to own it, to have compassion. That Jesus sees, and when He sees, He sees what they're going through, and He chooses to feel with. To feel the suffering with. Jesus doesn't cast judgment. When He sees from a distance, He doesn't try to analyze the situation and give excuse to not go down there. Most of us, when we see other people in pain, we don't want to feel that pain. Some people, that's the Lord's uniquely gifted you in that way to where you move towards people who are in hard scenarios and situations. And like, that's an amazing gift that the Lord has given you. But for the most part, most people in the world, when we see people in pain, we want to either make their pain go away, throw a little joke in there, numb it with something, or we want to avoid it ourselves because it's uncomfortable. We use mechanisms to do this. We, we, and we make assumptions about the scenario or situation so that we can remove ourselves from it. Like, I can paint this picture like in our day. Probably would have been like, oh, he probably did something really foolish and died. I don't have to feel with this woman if I can justify some wrong that's led to this suffering. That we begin to make judgments and assumptions about the suffering or the pain that others feel so that we don't have to feel it with them. Oh, he or she's single because of blank. He's not doing well in his job because of blank, and therefore he feels the stress and the weight of it all. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't cast judgment or try to analyze the suffering that this woman feels. He just sees the suffering and He chooses to feel it with her. I don't know about you, oftentimes when we feel all of those things, when we feel lonely, when we feel depressed, when we feel stressed and overwhelmed by work, when you feel like you're a mom who's giving it all and you're just like wasted away, when you feel the fear of the endless potential opportunities or the grief or loss of a loved one, when you feel all of these things, like it feels like you're alone. It feels like I, I, nobody else knows what I'm going through. Nobody else knows the weight and the pressure that I'm dealing with. Jesus seems to get that and sees the value in being with somebody in their suffering. To move towards them in their grief and pain. He doesn't remove and only act kind and compassionate towards people who seem to be innocent in their suffering. Making judgments that they deserve or don't deserve and therefore ability to remove ourselves from responsibility to care. Jesus sees and Jesus feels with 
Like this is, just to be honest, really uncomfortable. I love to share in the celebration. Like, you want to you party? I'm there. <laughs> you want to go have some fun? I'm there. You got a promotion and you want to do something with it? Let's go. Like, I'm there. But, but to see people in pain and to move towards them, to feel that with them, hard. It's hard. And, and if we really get into it, we're willing to do that with people that we have a lot of love for. Right? Like if we, if we love that person, we'll sit with them. If we care about that person in a personal way, we'll give them the hug that they want. We'll hear the, the story that's at the heart of their pain. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't do that either. He doesn't know this woman. I mean, other than that, he's God. <laughs> he doesn't have some personal relationship. This isn't like Lazarus. When Lazarus dies and Jesus weeps because he was a dear friend, Jesus' compassion and his willingness to feel with people in pain and suffering and loss and loneliness and grief and depression and stress isn't limited to people he has a relationship with. And nor should ours be. So, so for us, I want to encourage you in this. Uh, Jesus sees you. And Jesus feels with you. That he, He's a high priest who, who, who sympathizes with us in everything. Because He's been there. And for us as Christians who are called to live lives on mission with Jesus, we're called to see and feel like Jesus does. Which means that we have to make the conscious choice to have compassion, to feel with them. That, that is uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. It's at the very least going to put you in a place where you have to courageously step into a potentially uncomfortable and awkward moment. To sit next to somebody whose loved one just passed away and not know what to say. To, to hear your friend whose marriage is in a wreck and just sit with them. To hear the fears in front of you, your friend or your neighbor or coworker or, or somebody, the fears that they have about their work. Is this going to happen? Is this going to work? Is this going to fall apart? Am I going to be a failure? To hear and to feel with them. See, but like I said, Jesus doesn't just see this woman from afar and look down from the mountain with this like, oh, my heart feels with you. Like I'm, I feel the pain that you have. It doesn't stay there. It, 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 it begins here, but it doesn't stay there. Because Jesus sees this woman, Jesus feels with this woman, and Jesus moves towards this woman. Verses 13 through 17 say this. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. 
And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man set up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. That Jesus moved towards this woman. That he sees her, he feels, but he moves towards her. And he, the first thing he does when he moves towards is he speaks. And he says, do not weep, which may be like, that's the, you shouldn't say that to people who just lost a loved one. I mean, that's not like you walking up and telling somebody who just lost a loved one, don't cry. That's not what Jesus is doing. Uh, Jesus uniquely has the ability in this moment to tell her, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's what that do not weep is saying. It's going to be okay. That he moves towards her with his words. And he speaks a word of comfort. It's going to be okay. But he doesn't just move towards her with his words. He moves towards the current need and situation that's in front of him. What does he do? He risks. He risks a lot. It may not seem like a lot for Jesus to walk down this hill and touch this little woven casket thing, but he risks a lot. Why? Because to touch a dead thing in Jesus' culture was to be ceremonially unclean and you got like two weeks of living in isolation to follow. Sounds like COVID, but nonetheless. Um, imagine like, oh, I'm going to risk taking this meal to my friend who has COVID. And that might cost me two weeks of work and pay. It might cost me some event with my family or friends. Like it might cost me to, to, to see their suffering and to care enough to move towards them. Because it's risky. And that, that love that moves with compassion to feel with other people will move us into risk. To risk our lives and ourselves for the good of others. That it moves us towards other people uh, and courageously sees the risk and says, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to move into it. I'm going to risk it. That Jesus does something here that you weren't supposed to do. Why? Because he was moved with compassion and love for this woman. And what's the result? He rises the kid from the dead. He gives him to his mom. What happens from that moment? What happens as a result of Jesus seeing, of Jesus feeling, and Jesus moving? The whole people move towards God. That the result of Jesus' act of compassion in this moment, to move towards this woman instead of to stay away and keep focused on all the stuff on His plate. The whole result is the people glorified God. That God is made known. He's brought to these people, literally, but they actually are awakened to the reality of God in a new way. Because of the compassion that Jesus shows this widow, mourning, grieving lady. What's the result? That people moved towards God. They glorified Him. They worshipped Him. They, they said things, and, and Jesus is like known more. His, the gospel spreads throughout the whole country because of Jesus' compassion. Because Jesus' heart moved towards this woman. 
This is the gospel. In physical demonstration, this is the gospel. That Jesus looked down upon this woman on a hill, looks down into the, into the city, sees her coming out, moved with compassion and love because of the suffering she feels. Doesn't want her to feel it anymore, so he joins in that suffering with her. He comes to her. And he brings life to what is dead. Restoring what is broken. That he gives life. That this is the gospel, that Jesus moved towards us physically. He came down from heaven to take upon your suffering and sin, your shame, your guilt, your sin, your brokenness. He takes it upon himself on the cross, is nailed to that cross, paying the suffering punishment for your death, for your sin, removing it from you. He takes this woman's grief away by healing her son. And he gives life. He gives life. That this is the gospel. I don't encourage you if you've not put your faith in Jesus. That if you haven't, if, you, if maybe this is the first time in a long time or just the Holy Spirit's at work today, and you haven't put your faith in Jesus who came here to take your sin, suffering, and pain upon himself and die in your place so that you might live and have life, that today you put your faith in Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That He is God. He came and He died in your place. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, overcoming the curse of sin and death for you. Then you will be saved. So I encourage you, if you haven't believed the Gospel, that you would believe it today. And the main thing I was telling you we'd talk about today is this. The Gospel moves our hearts towards others. Jesus unpacks this picture of us, or for us. That the gospel moves us towards other people. Particularly, it starts with our heart. That through the gospel, we have received this love and compassion of God. That this love and compassion we've received moves our hearts towards other people in love and compassion. So how do we do that? One, we have to be reminded that God feels with. He sees you. He feels your suffering and pain. And He went to you to do something about it. To remember that God saw your weakness, your loneliness, your suffering, your pain, your sin, the curse of sin and death upon you, the judgment looming because of your sin. He saw it and He did something about it because He loves you. Remember that. And then let's slow down. Not be so focused on what we have in front of us that we miss the opportunities to see, feel, and move towards others. To slow down, what suffering do we see around us? What loneliness do you see? What depression? What loss and grief? What disappointment do you see around you? It, it might be hard at first to find because we can mask it really well. But it's there. Ask the question um, probably four years ago with a group of friends of mine who are also pastors in ministry. What do people in the South Fort Worth, Burleson, Crowley area not have? I mean, like you look at our area, and I mean, Crowley in Burleson, a little bit different context, yes. 
Um, there's not a lot of parks that are answering for people to come clean them up. There's not a huge homeless population. There's some. There's not this void of people to care about um, uh, like abortion clinic or pre, um, uh, prenatal kind of stuff in our area. There's lots of people doing that. What is this area not? What are people who don't believe in Jesus not have? It's it, it, most people who who are not following Jesus in our area deal with this deep sense of loneliness. This deep sense of loneliness that that no one knows me. I don't feel safe that I can be known by anyone. People maybe know me on a surface level, but they don't really know who I am or what I'm going through. Your neighbors, I, I sit, my office is on the front of our house. And so I sit in my office most days of the week working and got two windows there and I see my neighbors walk. I'm super extroverted, so I'm that guy who like, I see my neighbor walking to the mailbox and I'm like, I'm going to go to the mailbox too. <laughs> kind of guy. <laughs> um, I'm that guy who's made a neighbor cry at the mailbox. Not because I said something mean, but because I asked them a question that was like, just kind of really got there. Um, and uh, like maybe that's you, maybe that's not you, but nonetheless, like we can hide things really well in our communities and our neighborhoods. We can pull our cars in the garage and close the door and never show our faces to our neighbors. Uh, we can see our neighbors do all of that thing. Uh, but that is just covering up a reality of sin and brokenness, of loneliness, of depression, of loss, of disappointment. So what suffering do you see around you? It might take some time slowing down, putting yourself in the shoes of somebody else, asking some open-ended questions, inviting somebody into your home, get to know them a little bit more. So the next question I want us to ask, what suffering do we see in our area around us is, is this. Who do we see around us? Who do you see? God has sovereignly put you where you are. Like There's no like by accident chance you live where you live. That you do the things that you do, that you have the job that you have, that God has sovereignly put you where you are so that you can be on mission, so people would experience the love and compassion of Jesus. The hope that you have, the life that you have, that you've received by faith in Him. So, who do you see? And I want to just say this. You may not be super extroverted like me. You still don't get out of this. It just looks maybe a little different. You may not be the guy or girl who knocks on the neighbor's door to ask for anything or offer anything. But if you are a Christian, you've put your faith in Jesus, we have to commit to live like Jesus, which means that we move towards people. That we move towards them at least one person. I want to encourage you to this. We're going to commit to do this, to move towards one person over the next three weeks. Again, I said this at the very beginning. We're called to make disciples, and that's not an intellectual assent or some ethereal idea or some like philosophical thing that we believe. It's a thing we do. And so we're going to commit to do that today. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, we're going to commit to move towards one person each. 
the next three weeks leading up to Easter. Jesus' Jesus' brother says this, faith without works is dead. If we put our faith in Jesus, it should be visible in our lives. If If we've received the compassion and love of God, it should be visible in the way that we show compassion and love for others. So the first thing that we're going to do, if you have this card, um, is identify the who. Who is that person? And to write their name in this blank. If you want to just stick with first name, maybe they'll be here in a week or two and you don't want to like put their whole name on there, that's fine. Totally fine. Put their name on both of these cards. It's perforated so you can tear it off. Their name here, you keep the big one. Their name here, we're going to do something with this. And then over the next three weeks, we're going to do this. We're going to move our hearts, our hands, and our words towards this person. Our hearts, one of the, the simplest things that we can do in love and compassion for somebody else is to pray for them. Like to actually care enough about their circumstance that you ask God to do something. To pray for them. So to, to every single day this next week, pray for this person. When you wake up in the morning, pray for this person. Tape it on your bathroom mirror, put it in your car, wherever you're going to see it, carry it in your pocket, where you stick your hand in your pocket to get your keys, you touch it, whatever it may be. To every single day this week, pray for this person. That your heart would move towards them with compassion, like Jesus. To be with them in whatever it may be. To feel with them. For our hearts to move towards them. And then next week, We're going to look at how the gospel moves our hands towards people in serving and giving and generosity. And the last thing, it moves our words. And here's the deal. Oftentimes we skip one and two. We see churches that are like, oh yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to do evangelism and outreach. And they skip their own hearts and they skip their own words or their own hands. And they're just like, I'm going to go tell somebody. And it flurries out after about 12 hours. Why? Because their hearts are not moved towards others like Jesus. So we're going to start with our hearts to move towards this individual. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a physical neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker, a friend, a classmate, whatever it is. To write their name here on the top for you to keep and see every single day for the next three weeks. And to write their name right here. And then what we're going to do in a few minutes when I pray is we're going to tear these off and we're going to come we're going to put them on this display here. There's a bunch of little magnets on there. Um, we're going to put these names up there so that we can all see the people that we as a church are going to move towards this next three weeks leading up to Easter. The people that we're going to pray for. The people that we're going to move towards and serve. The people that we're going to be actually inviting to Jesus. And just think, imagine if 20 of us do this. Imagine if 30 or 40 of us do this, commit to do this, and we see 20 people who don't know Jesus connected to a church that loves them, come to faith in Jesus, to see that this church is a people who are welcoming, loving, and compassionate as a community. What would happen? Revival. The Holy Spirit powerfully working through us as we boldly and courageously move towards other people. Revival in our hearts. Revival, excitement, joy, life. This is what we're supposed to be about. Moving towards other people like God has moved towards us. But it has to start with our hearts. 
It has to start with our hearts as we move towards others in mission. Another thing that I want you to do, and we're trying to give you as many tangible ways that you can just say, yes, I'm going to do that. Step one is to put that name down and to move your body up here to commit to do this. Um, We've printed and made a bunch of these shirts to consistently remind us that we are a people on the move, and they're free. Um, So get one on your way out today. If you if you want to pay for it, you can, but you don't have to. Um, so if you are going to commit to do this like Jesus called us to, we're going to move physically today by putting this up here to commit to pray, moving our hand to write that name, and then if you want to grab a shirt on your way out to wear to remind yourself that I'm a person who Jesus has called on mission to move towards others to do that, to grab one of those shirts on your way out today. Uh, let me pray uh, and ask that the Holy Spirit would move our hearts towards people. Um, and, and maybe you're here today and you're like, oh, this was cool and all, um, but I haven't, uh, uh, this is all new to me. If you have questions, um, I'm going to be sitting right over there. If you have questions about Jesus, about what it means or looks like to put your faith in him, um, questions about does Jesus really care about me, any and all that kind of stuff. Somebody who wants to, you, you just want somebody to pray for you, uh, to sit with you, to listen, like I'll gladly be over there to do that. You can also come across to the Connect Center after we, uh, after we finish. We're going to sing a few songs now, and as we sing, we're going to move. Uh, I want to encourage you, as, as they play this first song, to move up here and put that piece of paper on this board. Um, and then after we sing this first song, we encourage parents who have kindergarten through fifth graders to go grab those kids and bring them in to sing uh, the last two songs with us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much that you were so compassionate and kind that you were willing to move towards me. There's nothing in and about me that makes me worthy or worth you moving towards me, but you in your compassion and your love chose to. And so God, I ask that you would um, remind us of that love and compassion that you've shown us, and you would move us powerfully, courageously, and boldly towards our neighbors, towards our coworkers, so that they could experience the life and the joy that's available to us in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's move.